Welcome to the Top Order Podcast. Back by popular request, we have got the Cricketing Hall of Fame. Our mailbag has been lit up with many requests for when are we doing the next episode. We really want to see a Kiwi in the lineup, and Bordy, I'm sure, is not going to disappoint um, this evening as we count down number 60 to 56 on the Top Order Podcast, or actually more aptly, Michael Baldwin Cricketing Hall of Fame. Coming up after the swish. Bordy, so it's been such a long time since we've done one of these. Let's just recap the format here. So we're going to count down cricketers 60 to 56 in our 100 top order podcast podcast cricketing hall of fame compiled by Michael Xavier Ferdinand Baldwin. And we're going to put six minutes on the clock for each player. So we can't um, exhaust more than six minutes talking about a, a specific player. Who have we got? We've got a black cap legend, haven't we, at number 60, you're going to tell me. But who have we got at number 60? Well, we don't have any black caps in this one. So New Zealand listeners, stay with us for the next half an hour as we talk about non-New Zealand great cricketers. All that means is that the two that are left in the Top Order Podcast Men's Test Cricket Hall of Fame are in the top 55. That's what it means. You've got two great New Zealand cricketers still to come in the Top Order Podcast Hall of Fame, in and the I, Top 55. How can you how can you not like that? And I'm pretty sure all of these players have been to New Zealand at some point. <laughs> at some point. <laughs> yeah. most, of the, most of them have. At least the ones in this list will have. So at number 60, from South Africa, wicketkeeper better, tremendous white ball cricketer, but underrated as a test cricketer, I believe. Start the clock, Binksy, if you could. Six minutes on the clock for A.B. De Villiers. 114 test matches, 8,765 runs at an average of 50.66 with 2,200. So a wicketkeeper batsman, uh, a part-time wicketkeeper batter, but still a wicketkeeper batter that averaged 50 in test cricket, 2,200s, 46 50s, an average above replacement player of plus eight. So he was eight runs better than all the other batters, effectively, in, in his era. Um, captained his country, wicket kept, batted in the top order, opening batter to start his test career, and then uh, sort of became a middle-order batter and, and test cricketer. Tremendous white ball cricketer. What comes to mind first when you think about A.B. de Villiers? Is it test cricket or is it white ball cricket? Well, that's the thing. It's completely white ball cricket for me. When I think about him, it's all of those memories are with a white ball and coloured clothing. And and I have to say, you know, we don't we don't do anywhere near as much research as you when we're, you know, until we're kind of leading up to, to the week of recording this podcast of these Hall of Fames. And you go on and you look at A.B. de Villiers' stats and, it's kind of a surprise to, to see that his test stats were, were just so remarkable. Yeah, let's just recap a couple of those. So average 57 plus as the designated wicketkeeper for South Africa, 48 as the batter. He averaged 63 in matches won and 33 in matches lost. So absolutely crucial cog in that South African side. Uh, he batted for 78 innings in test cricket before recording his first duck. He leads all test cricketers in that regard. He has 50s in 12 consecutive test matches. That's first all time. Uh, He has the most catches in a test match, that's 11, uh, and also the most dismissals in a test match, and that's 11. And he has a higher average, I know you like this stat, Binksy, a higher average away from home uh, than he does at home. So he averages 47.4 at home and 50.7 away. So a tremendous cricketer in terms of the stats desk. Yeah, I'm happy you picked up that away from home thing because I had a look through his highest scores and the locations which he he scored those highest scores. So Mm. his top seven go like this, the UAE, India, West Indies, England, Australia, UAE again, and then South Africa. So he scored all his big runs overseas. It's something great to see. Mm. Um, and all different parts of the world, like exactly. saying. Exactly. And um, we were talking about um, 
was it Virat Kohli or Baba Azam, who we were talking about averaging 50 in you know, the, those two formats. He's doing that, and he's, he's comfortably above those as well. Um, here's another stat that I thought, you know, you, you rattled off his stats there, but I found a, a cool one as well. I've got him down as the only player in the history of Test cricket to score 100 and get 10 dismissals. That uh, that's a hun- that must be a hundred percent true because I think there's not there's not very many keepers who have ten dismissals. He's got eleven and, and held holds. And the he scored hundred in the first innings he of that scored hundred in that game. That's a that's a good get from you, Raj. That's a good stat work. Yeah, look, I think what comes to mind with me with De Villiers is just extreme talent. There seemed to be nothing the guy couldn't do. You know, um, he can sing, he can play guitar. He was a fantastic hockey player. Um, he, he, he's just one of those guys that you kind of like, mate. You play international cricket, you can sing, you can play guitar. You probably could have played international rugby and hockey. Can you let someone else be mm. good at something? Yeah, he's like, the huge Jackman of sport, g- isn't give he? Give away one of those things to mm. someone a little less fortunate um, than yourself. And from, a, I guess, a cricketing perspective, though, he, he, I'm going to be controversial here. He's a guy that I don't really remember a lot. Um, uh, and particularly for me, Test cricket is you know the thing that I'm probably most passionate about. And his record against England is a, is actually eight points below his record against, uh, for South Africa. So I think average just over fifty in Test cricket, mm. average just over forty against England. So I don't actually recall him um, being as great as he was across his career in the cricket that I would have seen of him. And um, and probably the other thing I'd say, I don't think he kept wicket enough. Um, in terms of helping to balance the side. And look, it's always difficult because you don't know what's going on from a political perspective, from an injury perspective. It was the same with Brendan McCullum with a chronic back injury, for example. Um, but I often they felt... also had to cock for, you know, for yeah. a good chunk of that career. I think he had a bad back as well, though, Abby Davilius. Yeah. And look, so again, I would have probably just liked to have seen him, like, I guess, a lot of the great um, keepers that, that, you know, that, that I, had, uh, you know, look up to, like an Ian Healy. They would have played through any injury to balance their side batting wherever um, and donning the gloves so that that would be my uh, not my take but undoubtedly a, a magnificent record I'm glad you mentioned the, the, that you didn't remember him because you and I were talking prior to recording Stuart about what we remember about AB De Villiers and, and you raised the same kind of point in that he is such a good white ball cricketer that we don't remember his test exploits as being all that special. But you have to go back and you have a look at his record. And he averages 50.6. He's got 22 test hundreds. It's an incredible record. Yeah, happy you brought that up because all I, when I think about A.B. De Villiers, I remember some great IPL innings, but the one that really stands in, stands out in my mind is the runs he scored in the uh, semi-final 2015 at Eden Park. Um, and it, in all honesty, he probably should have won that game for them if the rain hadn't come around. But, um, yeah, that's what I remember, those great white ball innings from A.B. Yeah, and I, and I suppose that's where his will, you know, I guess in, if you're thinking about this in, you know, five, ten years' time, I wonder if that will be... His his legacy. I mean, the the uh, the only test innings that I remember vividly is the actually the one that's so out of character where he batted for so long with Fuff yeah. um, to save that test against Australia in, in twenty twelve or whenever, whenever that was. So um, remarkably, that game I kind of thought him and Fuff in my memory, him and Fuff saved that game, but he got out with about fifty overs, sixty overs still to go, and uh, and it was actually Jacques Callis batting seven who came in and put on a, a, another big partnership with Fuff. But mm. there goes the bell. So we'll move on to number 59 in the list. We go to Dunedin uh, for this one. No, sorry, listeners, uh, we don't. We actually stay in the same country, don't we, for number 59? Yeah, we do. Uh, An opening bat for South Africa. And just an incredible story, I think. 
behind this guy. Graham Smith, 117 uh, test caps for Graham Smith for the Proteas. 9,265 runs batting at the top of the order at an average of 48.25. Highest score of 277. 27 test hundreds. That ranks 17th all time. His 9,265 runs ranks 16th all time. Um, He's at 38 test 50s. And he had eight test wickets, actually. He's got more test wickets than I, than I thought he would have. And a best bowling performance in an innings of two for 145. So he got a couple <laughs> of wickets, but also went for some tap. I mean, his peak series, he averaged 80 against England in 2003, averaged 84 in, in the West Indies in 2005, and again against England in South Africa, averaged 61 in a series there. So his peak series, he was right up there. But I think the first and foremost, we have to talk about the captaincy, the leadership for, for Graham Smith, 117 tests, 109 tests as captain. And, and how have you how have you sort of taken that into consideration in terms of where he is ranking-wise? Because, you know, we'll talk about players that have got um, better records, or we mm-hmm. have talked about players who have had better batting records than him yep. that aren't as high on the list. So how have you weighted that? And I, I guess, you know, longevity as a captain, um, win percentage, all those kind of things. How have you taken that into account? Uh Subjectively, there's no objective reference for it. I haven't made up a number and, and put it against his name. But well, there's one objective record that's that he's got the most Test wins as captain. Oh, absolutely. And and, and yep. um, you know, you and I again were talking about this just beforehand. I, I don't know if that record will ever be beaten. He's got 53 Test wins as captain. He's got 109 Tests as captain out yeah. of 117. So, firstly, that percentage of Tests as captain, I don't think will ever be beaten. And the number of Tests as captain, 109. I don't think that will ever be beaten either. Or if, if it will, it'll be by a guy who only plays test cricket and plays it for 20 years. That's a long, long test career, um, playing five or six tests a year or whatever it is as test captain. So I think those records are, are safe for now. He's got a great win-to-loss ratio. He wins 48% of his tests. His win-to-loss ratio is 1.8 wins for every loss that he took as captain. So all of those records are outstanding. They're not top five, but they're outstanding records, particularly considering the number of test matches that he played. So for me, a huge boost, a huge boost, easily 10 or 15 places, whatever you want to call it, just based purely on his leadership because he took over the captaincy as a 21-year-old. It was a controversial appointment to start with. You know, not many people wanted Steve uh, Graham Smith to be captain of that South African side, but just through almost sheer brutality, sheer force of will, he dragged that South African side along with him. And even as a young player in amongst a whole bunch of senior players, showed them the way and just showed them how mentally tough and resilient he was. I mean, batted with a broken hand famously in 2013-14, I think it was, against Australia. Was that 09, was it? That series against Mitchell Johnson. So look, the, the man was as tough as they come and you know all of my all of my notes on on the eye test for Graham Smith were all around just how ugly his his I'm glad style you said was. that because I thought you were going a different route then. And no, I was going to jump across the table to be honest. No, no, it was. I've got I've got two words: that grip, <laughs> and then brutal but effective. I mean, he's the classic claw hammer in your carpenter's toolbox, right? He's the one that you want if you're banging nails into walls. You don't want a delicate carpenter's ball peen hammer to create perfect dovetail joints you want something like graham smith's claw claw hammer carpenter's world i wondered what that extension cord was doing outside yeah every tradesman needs a a hammer like graham smith look not brilliant if you need to do some fine carpentry but i think it's because of that brutality because of that that ugliness of his style you were just glued to watching him bat and seeing if he actually could 
having lined the ball up to hit everything to mid-on, actually could hit the ball through the offside. And miraculously, he did on occasion. And Look, the, just the mental strength of, of the men is, yeah. is so impressive. And that brutality extended to England captains as well. He ended three careers of England captains. I think Nasser Hussain... Um, Michael Vaughan and Andrew Strauss all resigning after losses to South Africa. So basically my three favourite England captains. So I really don't like the bloke, eh? Yep. I'm happy you mentioned that 2009 uh, series because I didn't even look up I didn't even look up Graham Smith's stats or records when I knew we were going to talk about him. I just went and watched that highlights of the innings because it really gave me goosebumps and as a, I could just, I'm just thinking about what that did for the playing group, seeing their leader go out there and do something like that. Imagine if he had pulled it off, would have been one of the greatest escapes in, um, in, in history, I think, for Test cricket. But uh, it still gives me goosebumps. The other part, uh, or the other aspect of Graham Smith, is that he left a massive, massive hole at the top of the order. Mm. Um, even though you say he looked ugly, he, he looked uh, his batting looked ugly. Um, he really was a stalwart of South African cricket and played played his game. Mm. He made you bowl where he wanted you to bowl it and he left everything else that wasn't required. So that mental strength and, and his leadership for me were, were massive. And, and uh, look, got to get a New Zealand plug in here. Every time I think about Graham Smith, I actually think about a couple of incidents. I think about uh, Chris Martin just having him on, on toast uh, on a few series over here. Um, I, I, yeah, just I, I sort of had to Google Chris Martin, Graham Smith, because that's all I remembered and, and actually discovered that he is Chris Martin's number one wicket in uh, in Test cricket. Martin got him out eight times, and then uh, also just thinking about one of those series. I think it was an ODI series where uh, him and Stephen Fleming just had massive dust up that they really tried to get stuck into him. I think when he was a, a younger captain, uh, and and really rattled him in, in uh, some of those moments. So yeah, but you know, like you said, absolute quality player, and and, and you think of that South African team at that time. And, and they were a force, and, uh, you know, New Zealand's always struggled to beat South Africa. So, yeah, very good leader. Well, the timer going off, uh, an opportune um, moment right there. We are actually genuinely going to Christchurch now. <laughs> Unfortunately, it's not Christchurch Canterbury, but Christchurch Barbados, which is the home of the next person on our list. Baldy, tell us more. Gee, that's really good from you, Binksy. That's great research. So from Christchurch Barbados, Joel Garner, 58 test matches, just the 58 test matches for the West Indies. Uh, 259 wickets in those 58 tests, which seems incredible, just jumps off the page. At an average of 20.97 and a strike rate of 50.8. Uh, best bowling in a match, 9 for 108. So no 10 fers, but 7 5 fers. And an average above replacement player of plus 9.06, or if you're a bowler, minus 9.06, which is good enough for fifth all time. And his bowling average of 20.95, also fifth all time amongst bowlers that I considered for the Test Cricket pod, um, for the Test Cricket Hall of Fame for the Top Order podcast. Just a couple of peak series here. 83-84, uh, Australia in the West Indies, 31 wickets, an average of 16, strike rate of 40. Uh, 1984, England in England, 29 wickets at 18, strike rate of 45. And then the following summer, back in the West Indies against England, 27 wickets in five tests, an average of 16, and a strike rate of 34.7. So... Uh, strike rate really good and obviously because all of those other West Indies fast bowlers were also present and not as many fifers and tenfers in his in his career fun one to go back and look at the YouTube footage wasn't it jeez honestly I just don't know how you hit how, how do you hit, how do you hit a bowler like him that's six foot eight tall and just that the 
he was bowling balls that were on a length and they're just rearing up and hitting, thudding into people's chests. And, and then he'd just come in with this huge Yorker. I would have absolutely been terrified facing him. And <laughs> I would have just not enjoyed any single moment of that experience. Uh, you and I wouldn't have lasted long, I think, against Joel Gardner. It would no, have been true. one ball, maybe two, and we're either in hospital or, or dismissed stumps flying. But it wasn't just tail enders. It was guys like Greg Chappell, who averaged 53-54 in Test cricket, who we'll get to in this Hall of Fame. Joel Garner made him look like a goose on a number of occasions, and, and Greg Chappell was wearing deliveries in the in the arm, under the bribs, in the shoulders. You know, so those those YouTube rabbit holes of, of West Indies fast bowling in the 1980s, some of them are, are really worth an hour of your time to just go in and deep dive into some of that because it's just terrifying to watch. Look, absolutely terrifying, and not something I think any of us would fancy, apart from maybe Raj, who was pretty good against the short ball back in his pump. So, um, yeah, maybe it hooked him off his nose. The, the, th- <laughs> the thing that stood out for me uh, in doing a little bit of research on Joel Garner is actually his one-day record. So I don't know whether this still stands, but um, according to you know the most um, laudable of sources, Wikipedia, um, he is still ranked as the highest ever-ranking one-day international bowler. Um, based on them going back and, and doing the same sort of algorithms as they do now to um, to come up with those ratings, so that you know that record alone um, and thirty seventh all time on their on their test rankings, mm. um, you know when when you look at um, yeah one hundred and forty six wickets in ODIs at eighteen point eight. Um, that is, you know, that is the stuff that under eleven school cricket dreams are made of, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Um, averaging eighteen with the ball, so um, yeah, and, and just look ferocious. Um, but with a bit of grace as well, um, mm. you know, the, the way that he, you know, the way that he bowled. And I think, yeah, going back through those uh, West Indian fast bowling YouTube clips is, um, yeah, it's good fun that you're not down the other end. I, I guess, you know, we obviously talked about his incredible average, talked about, you know, he's averaging about five wickets a test, which is also very impressive in, in, in historic terms. You mentioned it in the, the lead up in the intro that he doesn't have those five fizz and, and, and no ten fizz. Mm. Did you have to knock some points off him there? I know we've we've talked in previous podcasts about uh, just the the core of that West Indian bowling attack and how they they not only had four quicks that they played all the time, but they had five or six really that they could kind of cool cycle in and out if yeah. they needed to. Have you factored that in, Bordy? Because that was a question I was going to ask you. You you obviously raised the point, but the lights of uh, Roberts, Colin Croft, um, Marshall, Ambrose, and Walsh coming a little bit later. Patterson, you yeah. can't really take ten for very often in no, a game. You, when no, you you've can't. got that kind of that kind of. Uh, no, you can't. And when you're comparing guys who have got multiple ten fers in their career, four, five, six, whatever it happens to be, you know, guys like Wazim and Wakar who who took ten fers and five fers at a regular basis. From a statistical point of view, those guys get a boost, and Joel Garner gets you know put down a peg, but. What I did is I subjectively had a look at the, the sum of Joel Garner's career and his, his average and his strike rate in particular and went, actually, you know, the the purely stats-based algorithm doesn't do this guy justice because it doesn't take into consideration, as it should, the quality of the bowlers around him. Very difficult to do in context without having kind of run your eye over it. So that's why guys like Marshall, Holding, Joel Garner in particular, those three in particular get a little bit of a boost compared to some of their contemporaries. And I kind of discount when I'm looking at it and judging it with the eye test, those five and 10 wicket hauls because those guys were around. And I, and I wrote here, unanswerable question, how much better would either any of those guys have been if it was just two of them instead of three, four, five, six, you know? Would we have seen a jump in number of wickets, a marked improvement in fivers and tenfers? Would we be talking about them as one of the five or ten best bowlers of all time rather than one of the sort of 20 best bowlers of all time, which is kind of where he is at the moment. 
And look, um, to kind of round out, I know this is, uh, you know, this might sound a bit flippant, but do you guys think that the there's any chance that the badass saw it out of the sight screen? Because I, I just don't. I think that he's too high. Oh, he? he definitely bowled above the sight screen. Yeah. Yeah, I think if you, I can't remember if it was Barry Richards, but it was one of those guys who was talking about looking at the release points of when the bowler lets the ball go. And they said that they would judge length based on whether they were releasing the ball before their arm got to the vertical or slightly after. Now, the ability to pick that up in and of itself is incredible to me because the arm goes over so fast that I can't see the ball come out of the hand most Saturdays. But that's the kind of skill level that they had. But they mentioned that, of course, with a bowler like Joel Garner, it was irrelevant because the ball was above the side screen and you couldn't pick it up anyway. So, you know, they had even less time to pick up the delivery because they had to wait for it to come down below the line of the side (laughs) screen and then it disappeared into the deck and then it reared up off them at them off a length and, and smacked them in the, yeah, in the chest. Big bird, eh? Absolutely. The timer um, going off as we um, eulogise about um, Joel Garner. We've got a decent new ball attack on this episode of the Cricketing um, Hall of Fame. And look, it wouldn't be a Cricketing Hall of Fame if we weren't going to um, include an Australian um, higher than he deserves to be. So, Bordy, let's, uh, <laughs> let, let, let's oh, go let's, into who we've got on the list now. Let's go, boys, because if you're going to claim he's higher than he deserves to be, we're going to have a fun six minutes. Put it on the clock for my man, Pat Cummins. 38 test matches uh, in his career so far, and I think that's relatively up to date. 185 wickets at an average of 21.19. So we just go back to Garner was 20.97. Cummins is 21.19. Garner's strike rate 50.8. Pat Cummins' strike rate 45.9. He has 110 for 13 fivers and an average above replacement player of 8.78, which puts him just behind Joel Garner, actually, in sixth all-time. Uh, bowling average ninth all-time. Must have got a hell of a bump for his captaincy, then. Mm, he does. He gets a big bump for his leadership. We'll talk about that. And also strike rate ninth all-time. Best figures in a match, 10 for 62 is 110 for... Right, let's go. I'm prepared to take you all on. Pat Cummins, as his career stands now, 57th, and I'm sticking with it. Okay, here we go. Pat Cummins has played 38 tests. Your yes. cutoff, your cutoff here is 150 wickets, isn't yep, it? So he's only wickets. only just past that mark. Yep, he qualifies. You genuinely think that if he had finishes his career and does not play another test, yep. he will be regarded nearly in the top 50 players of all time. Yep, 100. percent Because is because if he stopped playing cricket right now. He has the ninth best average and the ninth best strike rate of all time. There are something like... In, in the players you considered, which doesn't include someone like Shane Bond, who is, uh, who's got who a better strike rate. Who than doesn't him. have enough wickets. Doesn't though. have the wickets. Yes. Doesn't have the wickets, But right? that's what I mean. Like, yes. But if he stopped playing cricket now, yes, he finishes with an average uh, better than Glenn McGrath, I believe, and a strike rate better than Glenn McGrath, who took 560-odd wickets and probably is in the top, say, 30 bowlers of all time. Look, you can't go past ninth in strike rate, ninth in average. I'm sorry, that is that is significant, and sixth in average above replacement player. So he is better compared to his peers than other guys who have achieved those same marks. So Alan Davidson was like third in average, but he slipped to fifteenth when you take into account the the average above replacement player. He actually is better than his actual average suggests that he is. I'll actually jump into bat for for Binksy uh, or Baldy here. I'm I, going home because I can see uh, <laughs> Lippy and Binksy just waiting to jump on him. But his story is yet to be written, right? He's got such a long time to go. Um, I think that I'm a massive fan of the longevity, actually putting those numbers up. But I think he's going to do it, and I think he's actually going to get better because you see how he's gone through his first little tenure here as as captain. You see, he's the kind of guy who who puts the team on his back, and he plays better 
to bring the team up. And, and I think that he's just going to go 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 better and better. He's just devastating with the ball. He's got that mental toughness to actually come back from those injuries that he had early on in his career, which has significantly shortened his career. Mm. He's, what, 28 now? Yeah, he's 28 now, just about to turn 29, I think. It, and it felt like that it was never going to happen for mm, him, didn't 100%. it? I, I thought he was going to be a player that, that we always went, oh, what if what if those injuries mm. didn't happen for yeah, him? Yeah, because he debuted 2011, I think. Uh, it might have even been in South Africa, yes. perhaps, something like that. Uh, played a couple of test matches, got injured, had a chronic back injury for several years, was out of the wilderness for six years from test cricket, only came back in 2017. So all of this achievement has only happened in the last four or five years. You're right, Raj, he's yet to write the rest of his story. As it stands, I've got him at 57, but there's plenty of room for him to move up if he continues to improve. Uh, just the fact that he was able to remodel his action and then come back and still bowl 145k plus, some top 10 for averages, top 10 for strike rate, I think it's incredible, and he's probably going to have a really, really good story by the time he's finished. Can we continue that by where Where do you think he will finish? Because I, I think that's quite an interesting debate in terms of, like, uh, let's just let's not think about the world. Let's put it on Australian bowlers, because there has been a lot of Australian, a really good Australian seam bowlers. Mm. You know, do you think he's going to be in the conversation with Lily, McGrath? Uh, uh, do you genuinely think in, in five years' time, I mean... I, I don't know. I mean, he's got that opportunity. If he doesn't get hurt, yes, 100%. He will 100%. He's played, what, five years of test cricket. He's now got 185 test wickets. If he plays another five years of test cricket at his peak, 25, 28 to 33, I think he takes easily, enough, again, that many wickets. So we're talking about 370 wickets now in his test career. We're talking about a guy who's probably still going to average less than 25, 26 with the ball, even allowing for some regression towards the mean, if you like. And a guy who probably, you know, if you've got Stark and Hazelwood and now these young guys coming up, he'll have plenty of support as he gets older to have young guys coming in and doing some more of that sort of grunt work, if you like, and he can just be a spearhead of the attack and, and be a partnership breaker rather than a guy who, against India last summer, had to do all the work and literally, as you say, Raj, put the team on his back. Thanks, he. Yeah, I think it's too early to... You know, you, you, uh, mate, you've got into the DeLorean there and, and gone well into the future um, to write the rest of his career. Um, we talked on the previous podcast about Rassi van der Dussen averaging 75 in um, ODI cricket and that the sample size of just over 30 games was too small for us to really make a judgment. I don't doubt Pat Cummings' ability, um, but I, I've got to say that I think him this high on the list with um, what is a relatively um, infant career in Test cricket, um, some injury early in his career, the fact that it, you know he's going to now be captain and, and have that workload of, of bowling and having to play through series where he's perhaps not completely fit. Um, look, I... I hope for you know people listening to this in the in the top order podcast time capsule in in ten years time um, that it's played forward the the way that you you've done for Pat uh, for Pat Cummins but I've got to say I don't think he should be this high on the list. So that brings us to the final person on this week's list, number fifty six. Order, who we're talking about? This one might be a little bit controversial, and I was prepared to go to bat for, for Pat Cummins against all comers, but I'm prepared to listen to arguments and, and conversation around this guy in terms of how you guys see him, and we may have a different difference of opinion here. But we're talking about Pakistan batter Muhammad Yusuf, formerly Yusuf Yohana. 
90 test matches for Pakistan, 7,530 runs at a batting average of 52.29, high score of 223, 2,400s, 33.50s, and a rate of hundreds. He made 1,500s for every 100 uh, innings that he played, which ranks 19th of all time, 2,150s for every 100 innings that he played, ranks 23rd all time, and his average above replacement player is, is plus 9.51, which is also in, well inside the top 30 for batters we considered for the Hall of Fame. Interestingly enough, and I've, I've gone through a few of these stats now, only bowled in one innings, didn't take a test wicket. Most of these guys have got kind of one or two test wickets to their name, but no test wickets for Muhammad Yusuf. So, um, yeah, stats galore for Muhammad Yusuf. But one of those players, I think, who kind of went under the radar when I was compiling this list and when I wrote down a bunch of names without having looked at the statistics, he certainly wasn't on the list. But then I went and looked at his peak series. 06-07 against uh, the West Indies, 600 runs at 133. England in England, 06, 631 runs at 90.4. And, of course, also in 05-06, 461 runs against India at an average of 92.2. All of those, of course, happened in 2006 where Muhammad Yusuf set the world record for 1,788 runs in a calendar year. Still hasn't been beaten. Uh, so shortly after converting from uh, Yusuf Yohana, one of the very few Christian players who have played for Pakistan, converted to Islam and then had tremendous success shortly after his conversion there. But look, a tremendous career in probably one of their best top or, uh, best middle orders that they've ever had alongside Inzamam and, and Yunus Khan as well. But uh, a little bit controversial in that I don't think that he is as widely regarded as a great test cricketer as, as maybe his statistics suggest. I, I'll throw a few things at you, which I, I guess I spotted in his stats that, that I guess made me think that maybe why that's the case. And I suppose when you look at his stats and you dive a little deeper, you find that he only averaged under 45 away from home, 65 at home, 72 in, in uh, neutral, which is generally the UAE. He only averaged 29 against Australia, only averaged 29 against South Africa and Sri Lanka as well, who were a very strong side at, at points in his career. Then you look on the other side, two, average 250 against Bangladesh, obviously small sample size, but 100 against the West Indies, 68 against Zimbabwe, and 62 against those other Minos England. So, you know, like, you you know, when you look through those lineups, he's really cashed in against the weaker sides and at home. And, um, you know, he was obviously a very good player. I mean, he scored a double 100 here in New Zealand, was actually much, much you talked about players that have, have got one test wicket. He was Mark Richardson's only test wicket that uh, I'm sure most people uh, listening to this podcast have have seen the viral video that went round of, of Richardson's celebration. But yeah, just I, I guess someone who who really performed at home, and, and we've talked about it in the past, there's nothing actually to be criticised about that. We've talked about it with, I think, Rangana Herath and, uh, you know, plenty of other players who've dominated at home. So, you know, I, I think that's possibly why he's not ranked really, really up there in, in mm. uh, test circles. What's his, uh, in terms of volume, he's about a 1,000 less than the cutoff, Mark War. Uh, so Was Mark Waugh had 8,000, exa almost oh, exactly. Oh, okay, so about 500 less. Yep. I guess for me, I, I, I don't mind that trade-off. He's got a little bit less in volume because I think when he scored runs, he scored, he really added substance to an, to an innings. There were hundreds of substance. He really, you know, he scored big daddy hundreds. He got 900s over 100. They were totaled over 150. Mm. Um, and then 50% of his test hundreds, just to kind of... Uh, counter your your numbers there, Stu. Fifty percent of his hundreds were actually scored overseas, mm. uh, away from home, uh, and fifty were at, at home. That's the uh, other half of the equation there. <laughs> but in that um, in that one year where he went 
he went he went crazy and scored a lot of runs. 2006, averaged 99.33. It's closest thing we've seen to Don Bradman in a, in a, in a long time. Um, yeah, I, I have no problem with him being this high on the on the list because I think the innings that he played were of high substance in one one games for Pakistan. Just to pick up on that that point around hundreds, that that conversion rate or that frequency of scoring hundreds, 19th all time. But in terms of modern players. Only Smith, Sangakara, Hayden, Callis, Coley, Kane, Tendulkar, and Eunice scored hundreds more frequently than you, than than uh, Muhammad Yusuf did. So, in terms of modern players, he is as frequent a scorer of centuries as as they come, really. And there's, you know, he's ahead of Lara. He's ahead of some really really big names on that list who've who've played in the same kind of era as he did. Yeah, the the, the thing for me with that fantastic year he had as well that they were looking at that stat. Uh, through the Ashes series because Joe Root was pretty close mm. to the number of runs but mm. when they actually started to put that list up the guys that had scored that many runs were at averages of 50 and 55 and I think Root was around the 60 mark for the calendar year so to be that high ahead of it as well that you know that sort of period of of concentrated brilliance uh, look I, I think can't be uh, can't be understated and Bordy you, you sort of bemoaned his lack of test wickets he took a one day international wicket he only bowled <laughs> two balls in one day so he's up there for all time strike rates in the yeah, ODIs both. as well excellent Small sample size, but but right on there. Look, oh, we like a small sample size. We, we just talked about communists, didn't we? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Look, the only thing that I wanted to ask as ask an unanswerable question for you guys is, like he batted a little bit with Inzamam in his career, and he, and he batted obviously quite a bit with, with Eunice. Do you think those guys made each other better in that in that uh, lineup? similar to that discussion we had with with Dravid and, and, and Lakshman in particular being made better by the quality of the players around him? Well, there's the bell, but look, I, to finish that conversation, I think it always does, And if you ask me. I, I think, you know, you look at someone like Kane Williamson and Ross Taylor, when they're not running each other out, they they bat really well together. And, and when you've got two absolute class players, of course that's going to that's gonna help. And it's not like a, a bowling situation where they sort of take wickets off each other. Mm. They, can, they can help each other and they can help blunt attacks and they can just pile on the runs. So mm. Similar challenge here in terms of Inzaman with the runouts, I'm sure. <laughs> he, he would have been worth a couple of points in the, in the down degree uh, in terms of being, having run out his partners unnecessarily over the course of his career, I'm sure. I've got no stats to back that up, but I'm sure it's true. <laughs> Awesome. Well, guys, that does wrap up this episode of the Hall of Fame. Please do log on to our website, www.thetoporderpodcast.com. Find our email address and let us know whether you want to see more of the Hall of Fame in your feed or more of our random ramblings in This Week in Cricket um, in your podcast feed. But for now, it's good night and God bless from us all here in Auckland. And we'll see you very soon on the next episode of the Top Order Podcast. Good night. <laughs>